If you've been joining us this fall, uh, we've been progressing through a sermon series uh, in the book of 1 Corinthians. And this morning we come to the conclusion of chapter 2. One of, the, one of the significant themes so far is this contrast between the wisdom of the world and the message of the cross. The, the Apostle Paul is challenging his hearers to consider how we might be prone to trust in worldly wisdom, wisdom from those with the best education, or wisdom from those in, in high positions, or maybe wisdom from those who entertain us best, rather than trusting in the gospel. So as we consider how we might be prone to sometimes trust in worldly wisdom, I want us to first think through three scenarios we may encounter as we seek to make disciples of others, uh, as we seek to talk about the gospel with one another in a, in a gospel community or over a cup of coffee or in one another's living room. As we think about these scenarios What type of counsel might you be prone to offer someone in these scenarios? What type of counsel might you offer yourself? All right, so scenario number one. There's an individual with a close friend. Maybe it's a brother or a sister. Maybe it's even one of their their children. And it is clear they are not a Christian. It's not that they're destructive. They simply do not believe they need Jesus to forgive their sins. So these two people are connecting. And the non-Christian says something to the effect of, hey, how's church going? Right? It's as if a, a doorway suddenly opens for the Christian to talk about their love for Jesus and their love of God's people. And of course, the desired outcome of such a conversation is for the non-Christian to, to believe the gospel or at least to, to be more interested in it. Okay, That's scenario number one. Scenario number two, within the context of a gospel community or a small group, there is someone in an unhealthy relationship. You know, maybe that person is married and they're, they're going down the road of having an emotional affair. Or maybe that person is single and they are looking for a romantic relationship to give them ultimate meaning and purpose. An individual in a gospel community is going down the road of choosing sin and is beginning to reject and not repent of such sin. Right? If this hasn't happened in your gospel community or small group where there is someone dealing with sin, you probably haven't been in a gospel community very long. So there's an awkward moment during conversation as someone, maybe it's even you, out of Karen's concern, you begin to enter into this conversation about this sin. You, you want this individual to, to see what's going on in their heart. Okay, that's scenario number two. Scenario number three. Someone has the opportunity to speak to Pastor Chris or myself before we begin to preach on a Sunday morning. And just prior to speaking to us, she or he notices there is a guest in the room they have been talking to about church. The guest has been interested in conversation about the gospel and has been asking about First City and what makes First City different. And now they show up on a Sunday morning 
And so as Pastor Chris or I get ready to preach, how might the presence of that guest influence how someone talks to Pastor Chris or myself before we preach that particular Sunday morning? Knowing they want this guest to experience the gospel more deeply, and they want them to, they want them to come back. So as I, as I think about such situations, as I've, I've heard and listened to others in our church think about such scenarios, here, here's something I know we are prone to do. As we think about talking with a non-Christian, we tend to believe the best outcome will occur if we talk about the gospel like someone like maybe Bob Thune or a, a prominent pastor like Timothy Keller or John Piper or Andy Stanley, if that's who you listen to. We emphasize winning, overs other, winning others over with our competence, right? how much we know, or winning others over with our personality, trying to connect with them in a way they believe the gospel. As we engage those who are struggling with being repentant of sin, we emphasize somewhat of a buzzword today, being emotionally intelligent, making sure our counsel comes with the right tone at the right time. As we think about preaching on a Sunday morning, we might think, Pastor, could you just smile a little more? Maybe tell a few jokes, maybe just one joke. I mean, that's probably for Pastor Chris, not me. Maybe, maybe you could include references from relevant people in the culture this morning, like Taylor Swift or Bruno Mars, or if the guest likes country, Luke Bryan or, or Trevor Thomas Rhett. I was asking my kids about prominent. <laughs> when we see the passage might reference a hot-button cultural issue like judgment, like it does this morning or human sexuality, or roles in the church, or Jesus Christ being the only way to salvation, you think, maybe we could skip over that just this morning. right? Talking about such a topic might drive this person away. Could we talk about God's love instead? When we acknowledge such thoughts... We affirm we sometimes believe the best we have to offer reflects more the wisdom of the world, things like competence and entertainment and winning others over with our personality, rather than the wisdom that is not of this world. I don't want to dismiss things like approach or competence altogether. I don't think the passages of Scripture would lead us to such a conclusion. But I, I do think, while we would never say this out loud, we sometimes believe someone's response to conversations about the gospel has more to do with our abilities than the Spirit of God being at work. And so if we're confident in our abilities, we're bold. When we are not confident in our abilities, we are fearful that someone will reject the gospel because we have messed it up. The Apostle Paul will help us understand the foolishness of such a perspective this morning. Because the best thing we have to offer is not wisdom of this world, but is given to us by the Spirit of God. So for our big idea this morning, here's what I want us to engage. I want us to engage a proper perspective in the pro proclamation of the gospel. 
The Apostle Paul is going to challenge us to understand as we proclaim the gospel to others, it's not about you. It's not about your competence and your abilities or your emotional maturity. Someone's response on Sunday morning is not about Pastor Chris or myself entertaining them with jokes and smiles and stories from mainstream culture. Effective gospel proclamation is not about you or me. It's about the Spirit of God being present, revealing truth. So as we work to, uh, to better understand this big idea, the passage will provide opportunity to explore a proper perspective in positive moments proclaiming the gospel, a proper perspective in poor moments proclaiming the gospel, and a proper perspective of the person proclaiming the gospel. So if you have a Bible or Bible app, you know, go ahead and open it up. You guys know we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 13 through 16. We're going to talk about having a proper perspective in positive moments proclaiming the gospel first. So you might think of a, a positive moment as when you're talking about Christianity to someone outside the church, the person that you're longing to know Christ. And as you're talking, the person responds, I hear what you're saying. Tell me more about that. You keep talking, and you don't even know where the words are coming from as you speak. You are inspired. Or maybe it's one of these moments where your gospel community or, or your small group is gathering, and that gathering rocked. You know, connections were made, everyone was serving one another, everyone was listening and asking questions as individuals wrestled through challenging issues. As you kept talking during the gathering, you know the words you were saying were connecting so much that as you wrapped up, you just wanted to drop the mic. Because what you said, it was so good. As people leave the gathering, you hear them say, I wish, we, I wish we could come back tomorrow night. Man, that's a good gathering. Here's how the Apostle Paul explains such moments in chapter 2, verse 13. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So Paul is talking about the conversations Christians have with one another. Now, sometimes, sometimes those conversations are drop-the-mic type moments. Most of the time, they're, they're not. They're everyday conversations we have in the church as we minister to one another. In such moments, something is going on that is not of this world. As you and I talk about our mutual faith in Christ, as we offer encouragement, as we offer challenge, as we help one another process difficult life circumstances and challenging decisions, there is something going on that is not of this world. This word, in part, it means speak. So when our pastor speaks to us on a Sunday morning, when we speak to one another, we are not speaking with words taught by human wisdom. Rather, we are speaking with words taught by the Spirit. We are sharing with one another truths from a message that has been revealed, not by reading the best books or listening to the most prominent pastors or, or best podcasts 
or, or because we sought out conversations with the right people. We are speaking from a place of supernatural understanding. The Spirit of God has revealed truth to us. The Spirit of God has revealed our need for Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God has revealed what ultimately gives us life, meaning, and purpose is not the things of this earth, but the message of the cross. As we share with one another, those who are spiritual, they listen, they respond, they pray, and the message of the cross is believed. So a proper perspective in positive moments proclaiming the gospel acknowledges the presence and power of the Spirit. It's not about you. These positive moments are not about your ability to effectively talk about the gospel. These positive moments are not an opportunity to build up personal pride. There is something supernatural, something of the Spirit going on. Of course... We know the gospel is not always believed. Not everyone who hears the message respond. So so let's move on to better understand a proper perspective in poor moments proclaiming the gospel. Here's what Paul says in verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So, So some moments... Some moments you proclaim the gospel to others, it's rejected. I call those poor moments. Now, you might think of it as a poor moment because we want others to accept our message because we want to be accepted. We tie our acceptance as a person to whether or not others receive or reject the message we communicate to them. So when it's rejected, it feels lousy. It's a poor moment. But that's that's not what Paul is talking about here. We'll actually talk in a bit about how the opinions of others do not define us. It doesn't matter if they accept the gospel message or not. Here's what what it does uh, get at. As Christians, we long for others to know Jesus. We long for them to experience the freedom of the cross. And so when the message of the cross is rejected, that breaks our hearts. It is a poor moment. The person rejecting the gospel, the apostle Paul refers to as the natural person. It's not that they reject you or they didn't connect with your personality or you didn't entertain them enough. They simply do not accept the things of the Spirit. The word here that means natural, it means governed by breath. The natural person is not simply someone pursuing earthly pleasure and earthly happiness and avoiding pain at all costs. The natural person believes ultimate life and meaning and purpose is found in things of this earth. So this can be the religious person who believes their ability to obey particular principles is what gives them worth. Or an irreligious person who, who believes living the way they want to live is what gives them worth. Both the religious person and the irreligious person trust in self. They trust in earthly things. This is what it means to be a natural person. What the natural person rejects is not because it's gibberish 
or incomprehensible, but because it's rejected as foolishness. The natural person does not understand concepts of surrender and sacrifice. Surrendering self to Christ. Surrendering our sin to him. Surrendering pursuit of being worthy. Surrendering the belief that ultimate life is living the way I want to live. The natural person doesn't get it. The idea a savior sacrificed himself to give you and I worth and value, that's foolish. It's not necessary. Because the message of the cross is not of this earth. It must be spiritually discerned. So so in poor moments, you do not have to fear you are the reason someone didn't respond to the gospel. Because you didn't approach someone with the appropriate amount of emotional intelligence. They didn't repent. It's not about you and your ability to proclaim the gospel effectively. There is something supernatural that must happen, something of the Spirit. Paul emphasizes the spiritual person is not governed by breath. The spiritual person is governed by the Spirit. The natural person is not. So in other places in Scripture, the Bible contrasts these two individuals this way. Jesus in the gospel says every man and woman experiences a natural birth. The person who follows Christ, they experience a new birth. They are born again. In the book of Ephesians, the the apostle Paul contrasts two types of people saying one is dead. They're not necessarily physically dead, but spiritually they are. Their hearts and their minds are captivated by sin. The second type of person has been made alive in Christ. They have been given a new life, and in that new life, they have been freed from the power of sin and death. If you go back to the Old Testament, the prophet Ezekiel describes the state of the heart in these two individuals. For one, the state of the heart is hard. It is not soft. It is focused on serving self. The second person has been given a new heart and new desires. And so rather than, rather than reject God in his ways, that person wants to glorify him. She or he wants to obey. The natural person has an absence of the presence of the Spirit, an absence of an awakening, an absence of new birth, an absence of a new heart. If that is true, What possibility is there for that person to believe the gospel apart from the Spirit of God acting? When the gospel is rejected, it's not because of a lack of style or a lack of competence or because because someone's not being entertaining enough. That person who doesn't respond to the gospel, the Spirit of God needs to awaken them to something different. So in the poor moments of the proclamation of the gospel, again, not about you. Now, for those who are in Christ, those who are talking to others about the gospel, let's, let's do talk about you for a minute. As chapter 2 concludes, Paul, Paul says this in verses 15 and 16. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. 
So Paul says some important things here about the spiritual person. In how Paul says this, it can be a little puzzling because he is shifting focus as he progresses, right? The spiritual person judges all things, but is to be judged by no one. Who has known the mind of the Lord? But we have the mind of Christ. He is clarifying ways the Christian or the spiritual person is not of this world. For our purposes this morning, he is shaping a proper perspective of the person who is proclaiming the gospel. So let's work slowly through what he is saying. The first thing is the spiritual person, the person governed by the Spirit, more than being concerned with natural things, more than being concerned with self, that person is concerned about all things, including spiritual things. This person longs for God's kingdom to advance. They long for others to understand the message of the gospel. They long for others to be maturing in the fruit of the Spirit. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. They want to see those things more present in their church and more present in others who follow Jesus. And they are so concerned, Paul uses the term judge. They are scrutinizing whether those things are happening. They are assessing the spiritual health of their church, and they are assessing the the spiritual health of those who they know follow Jesus because they want Christ to be glorified. So the spiritual person is judging all things. The second thing Paul says is the spiritual person is judged by no one. There's some debate here when Paul says no one. Is he referring only to the natural person? Or is he referring to every person? On the one hand, Paul may be referring to the natural person because they cannot judge those who are spiritual. They don't understand their values and how they live. And if the spiritual person judges all things... Paul must not be saying the spiritual person is not judging those who are spiritual. As he continues in verse 16, Paul goes on to contrast the limitation of the minds of men and women while affirming the spiritual person has the mind of Christ. Lost my spot in my notes. So in using the language no one, Paul may be referring only to the natural person. But if we consider the larger context of 1 Corinthians, I'm not so sure it matters if no one refers to the natural person or whether it refers to everyone. In a world where the opinion of others often defines us, in a world where our opinion of us defines us, we we tend to view ourselves as worthless or we tend to believe we are not worthy of forgiveness because of how much we struggle with temptation and ongoing sin. The spiritual person is different. The spiritual person is not defined by the judgment of others. How others judge us, even how we judge ourselves, it doesn't matter. Only how the Lord judges us does. So in the larger context of 1 Corinthians, 
Paul certainly is making this point. He will return to this theme of judging at the beginning of chapter 4. And here's what he says. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in the darkness and will disclose the purpose of the heart. Then each one will receive his condemnation from God. It is the Lord's verdict that matters. Not brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't know about many of you, how many of you saw this past week, Author and pastor John Piper published his personal views on the upcoming presidential election. Now, some of us may agree with what he published. Some of us may not. I'm not here to debate that. As a spiritual person, we should critique. We should judge all things, right? We should critique and enter in and reflect on what he's saying. But what is concerning is the way some move from critiquing his position to critiquing his character. Paul is saying those who would critique the character in Christ, those critiques don't matter. Now this doesn't mean the spiritual person rejects counsel from brothers and sisters in Christ because a Christian understands the spiritual person judges all things. They are slow to speak and quick to listen. A Christian understands faithful are the wounds of a friend when another is addressing concerning behavior. But at the end of the day, those words don't matter. They do not ultimately define us. So the person who is in Christ, when others think poorly of them, when they think poorly of themselves, such an evaluation or verdict, it's useless. Only the Lord's judgment matters. So the spiritual person judges all things and the spiritual person is free from being judged by others. The third thing Paul says about the spiritual person is they have been given the mind of Christ. The spiritual person has a supernatural mindset. If we had more time, I would jump over to Philippians chapter 2 where Paul details more this mindset of Christ. But let me briefly summarize what he says there. The mindset of Christ emphasizes serving others, looking not only to our own interests, but the interests of others. The mindset of Christ emphasizes the sacrifice of Christ. How though he was God, he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death on a cross. The mindset of Christ is a mindset that is not focused on self. It is a mindset where we consider others more significant than ourselves. We ask about their story. We ask about their needs. We ask about their desires. We ask how they are doing. We long for them to experience healing and wholeness and the freedom the gospel brings. 
And it is a mindset that understands meaning and purpose and life is found in a servant who sacrificed himself to take on the pain and sin of others to the point of death on a cross. The natural person doesn't have such a mindset. The natural person doesn't understand why you would get up on a Sunday morning rather than sleep in, sacrificing precious time on a weekend to worship a man who lived 2,000 years ago. The natural person doesn't understand why you would sacrifice money for the sake of the proclamation of the gospel and the advancement of God's kingdom rather than spend it on self. The natural person, because they are not of the Spirit, doesn't understand why you would pursue purity rather than personal pleasure in dating relationships. The natural person doesn't understand why you believe in a good God in the midst of some of the most challenging life circumstances. The natural person doesn't understand those who do not fear death or someone who can forgive others when they have committed the most grievous sins. The natural person doesn't get it, but the spiritual person does because they have been given the mind of Christ. So I want to go back to the beginning of the sermon, and I laid out three scenarios. Scenario number one, a doorway is opened with a non-Christian to talk about the gospel or church. Scenario number two, the awkward moment that someone engages another about sin that is concerning. Scenario number three, Pastor Chris or myself is getting ready to preach when a non-Christian, you know, shows up to, to church on a Sunday morning. If we grasp what the Apostle Paul is saying this morning, what type of counsel do we offer others in such scenarios? If it's not about style or reading better books or growing our personality or how well we do entertaining others, should our counsel simply be let go and let God? I want to share an acronym from Pastor John Piper as we conclude. Right, his acronym is a little less catchy than I would like, but I haven't thought of anything better. And it gets at the reality that as Christians proclaim the gospel to one another, there is something supernatural that must happen. I've used aspects of this acronym to varying degrees throughout the three decades I have been a Christian, and it's, it's a helpful reminder It's not about me. Apart from God, apart from the Spirit, I am helpless. So here's the acronym. It's APTAT. See, it's not very catchy. So A, admit. Admit you can do nothing without God. You're about to have a spiritual conversation with a friend. You're about to talk to a friend about the gospel of Jesus. This conversation is not about you and your competence or your style, or your personality, if everything goes perfectly according to plan, or if it goes awful and not according to plan, it doesn't matter. If the Spirit doesn't reveal truth, nothing will happen. Admit you can do nothing without God. P, pray. Pray for help. This doesn't have to be a long prayer. There are plenty of short cries for help found in the Psalms. Help, Lord. I I need your help, Lord. Spirit, please reveal truth. Such a prayer acknowledges dependence. 
The Spirit must reveal truth as we proclaim the message of the gospel to others. T, trust. Trust in God and in his promises as we talk with others about the gospel. So on Sunday mornings, uh, whenever I preach or whenever I lead liturgy, I get to this point where I stop prepping. And I go run. And I listen to worship music. There's no more prepping. Such activity for me is an expression of trust. It is not something I need to do on Sunday mornings. Like, I need to get out of bed. I need to shower. You all need me to shower. I need to get dressed. I need well, you might quibble about this one. I need my cup of coffee. Those are things I need to do. I don't need to run, and I don't need to listen to worship music. But that action is an expression of trust that it's not about me. God needs to minister. The Spirit of God needs to minister to us this morning. When we trust the Spirit to encourage and to challenge we are free from a pressure to make things happen. And we don't fear messing things up. A, act. So trusting in God's promises, admitting we can do nothing without God, praying for help, it doesn't mean we are passive. It doesn't mean we sit back and do nothing. It actually emboldens us to act. Because we trust God, Because the Spirit reveals truth, there will be people who respond to the gospel. And so we proclaim it. T, thank God. Someone who knows it is not about their abilities or competence, they give thanks. There's the moment after we speak words Many of us are prone to self-evaluate. We tend to become self-focused. If it's not about you, you don't do that. You thank the Spirit for the opportunity to proclaim the gospel. You thank him for the words, and you thank him for revealing truth. All right, so this acronym, APTAT, admitting you can do nothing without God, praying for help, trusting God to work, acting, thanking God, This is not a formula rooted in worldly wisdom to get the results we want. This acronym, it's just a tool as we have opportunity to proclaim the gospel and implications of the gospel to others to remember it's not about us. It's not about saying the right things or saying them the right way with the right tone. What we are doing is impossible without the Spirit of God revealing truth. The natural person will not understand spiritual things without the Spirit of God moving. And so we don't need to be arrogant, believing we somehow hold the keys to another experiencing truth. And we don't need to be afraid we will somehow mess it up. We can be free, because it is the Spirit who reveals truth truth to the spiritual person. Let's pray.